Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. Good morning, Greenville Oaks. So we are in week three of our Disrupted series. Why is this uh, series so relevant in this season? I think it's because we're experiencing a disruption of our own, aren't we? Uh, there's so much in our world that's going on, uh, but particularly over the last few months, this pandemic has really uh, shaped our lives. We didn't choose this disruption, but I want us to know in this series that we have a choice in how we respond to the disruption that wasn't our choice. We get to choose our response. So we can choose to regress back to the comfort of the way things were, back to maybe some negative habits or just those habits that numb our lives or that, that we're used to, that bring us some sense of certainty uh, or we can move forward. We can move into the unknown with God, knowing that God wants to grow us in this season in particular ways. We can go backward, or we can go forward. In week one, we looked at the disruptions present in Genesis 1 through 12. We talked about uh, Genesis 3, where uh, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden after sin uh, comes into the world, after their sin. Uh, and then we talked about how the flood was a disruption. It, it, it shaped the entire world in new ways. Noah and his family are starting over again. And then in Genesis 11, at the Tower of Babel, we see that God confuses all the languages. And, but perhaps the greatest disruption in the first 12 chapters of the Bible occurs in Genesis chapter 12. Because it's there in Genesis 12 that we see uh, this man named Abram that God calls to go. To leave his family, his people, and his father's household and to go with God into an unclear place. Go to the land I will show you, God says. In week two, we looked at the central story of the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. The Hebrews' lives are disrupted by 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And in Exodus, God calls a leader named Moses to lead the people out of slavery. And what you're going to see in the series is that often in moments of disruption, God raises up leaders to, to, to lead God's people in the seasons of disruption they face. We're looking for just such a leader in our own season of disruption. Because there's always going to be these pretenders who seek to lead God's people or, or lead people in general through intimidation, through violence and power. But those aren't the leaders the Bible highlights. After all, think back. Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and Caesar, Herod and Pilate. In most history books would write those people as the main characters in the story that go on during this time period that the Bible is written. But the Bible doesn't do it that way. In the Bible, Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Caesar, Herod, and Pilate are mere footnotes in the story of God's movement through lesser-known peoples. In fact, we're not even sure in the book of Exodus which Pharaoh it was that enslaved the Israelites, which was there while these plagues come on Egypt. It's just Pharaoh. It's the king of Egypt. But what is interesting is that God shares exactly who it is who disrupts the plans of Pharaoh as he oppresses the, the Israelites, the Hebrews. In fact, there are these two midwives in Exodus chapter 1 that Pharaoh gives an order to them. I want you to kill all the baby boys. And they make these excuses. But the Bible names exactly who those two women are. Shifra and Puah. And I love that, right? There's this sense that God knows the names of all of us. 
but it's much more important who he's going to send to lead in the disruption than the way history often tells the story. If God is going to send a leader, it's going to look very different from the tyrants that we often look to for hope. Perhaps we should pray this morning for God to open our eyes so that we might see more clearly the leaders that God sends into our midst. And at the end of today's message, I'm going to uh, give you a, a lesser known hero in this story. But we're going to come back to that in a bit. Let's pray as we open God's word this morning. Our God, we come before you this morning and we honor your name. We know you are the God who is above all gods. You are the God who sees all things. You are the God who has the power to do all things. And God, we ask for your power to be at work in this world, to bring a close to this season of disruption, to do what only you can do to unite your people and to provide what we can't provide for ourselves. So God, we, we ask, we request, we petition for you to be in our midst. And this morning, as, as we open Scripture together, my prayer is that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, if you have your Bible nearby, open with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you a little bit of what we talked about last week. In the first 17 chapters of Exodus, the story is told of God's liberation of his people from slavery. It's a remarkable story that I focused on last week. But it's, it's one thing to be freed from something, and it's an entirely different thing to be freed for something. The Hebrews have been freed from slavery. We read that story last week. Now, though, they're going to have to come to grips with what they're being saved for. You know, plenty of rebel forces have freed themselves through revolution only to discover that the qualities that made them great uh, rebels didn't set them up to be leaders of whatever they needed to build next. It's easy to be against something. It's much harder to build something positive from the ground up. In that famous musical that many of us have seen, or maybe we know the soundtrack to Hamilton that was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, there's this great scene with King George III who's speaking to the colonies who just gained their independence in the song, What Comes Next. Listen to what he says that relates to what I've just shared. The song goes like this, What Comes Next? You've been freed. Do you know how hard it is to lead? You're on your own. Awesome, wow. Do you have a clue what happens now? Oceans rise, empires fall. It's much harder when it's all your call. When your people say they hate you, don't come crawling back to me. This is a great scene in the midst of the story of King George. It's frustrated the fact that he's lost these, these rebels that have gone and started their own nation. But there's this realization he's trying to say to them as well, it's hard to lead. It's hard to be for something. It's hard to construct. And we'll see what you construct there in America, he asked, which has turned out a little better than he might have anticipated. When Israel leaves Egypt, they have a challenge ahead. The promised land is ahead of them. But how will they manage to lead themselves in a healthy way when they enter the promised land? Because the only model of leadership they've seen and experienced has been the unhealthy leadership, the brute force of the Egyptian empire. They understood leadership as, as the ones who use violence and coercion and threats and quotas to command things from those who they oppress. So how do you lead in a healthy way when all you've seen is unhealthy leadership? That may be a question that strikes you because that was what you grew up in, was an unhealthy household. Or maybe you've been under unhealthy bosses and now you're trying to set out it on your own and, and lead a, a new group of people. It takes uh, new learning to be able to do that. 
It takes the work of God. Or another way to say all this is it's easier to get Israel out of Egypt. It's an entirely different thing to get Egypt out of Israel. You see the distinction there, right? God can free Israel out of the land of Egypt, but there's still this Egypt that lies within them that needs to be changed. So how does God seek to help this group of abused, distrusting former slaves become a healthy tribe that will bless all the other peoples on earth? Well, they're going to have to learn to behave like the people of God, like human beings. Because for 400 years, they'd been treated like animals, treated like property. God's way of helping them become human again occurs on Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, where you've already opened this morning. The Ten Commandments are clear condemnations of Israel's way of doing things. And the Ten Commandments are also God's introduction to the people of God of a new way to be human. Listen to these commands in the second part of those Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder like all the Egyptians did to enforce their way of life on you. Exodus 20, 14. You shall not commit adultery. In other words, your commitments, your words, they matter. You're to keep your word. You shall not steal like you probably had to do in Egypt to secure enough food for you and your family. Verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Like in Egypt, when lying was the language that kept you alive often. And for a season, these laws seemed to work. But eventually, we fail to keep the commands that we know are best for us. We fall off the wagon. And Israel has her own experience of failure. Which brings me to a period a few books later in the book of Judges, if you want to turn there with me. There's a pattern in the book of Judges that repeats over and over again. It's the cycle, descending cycle. The people are unfaithful, God's people. God delivers his people as a punishment into the hands of their enemies. The people then repent and they beg for mercy. And God sends a leader who in the book of Judges is named a judge to deliver Israel from oppression, and then they prosper again until they fall into unfaithfulness and the cycle repeats again. It gets worse and worse with every repetition of the cycle. And the final judge in this cycle of negative uh, experiences of, of the people doing what they want to do rather than what God commands them to do, the final judge is a man named Samson. You may remember Samson if you've ever read a children's Bible growing up or if you ever went to vacation Bible school. He's kind of a favorite for those kind of experiences because he's memorable, the stories that are told about him. Samson tears apart lions with his bare hands. He, he, he catches 300 foxes and ties them tail to tail uh, in, in the story. Samson killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. He's a dude. He's like the Paul Bunyan of the Bible, right? Samson was betrayed a little bit later by a woman named Delilah. And his source of strength, his hair was cut off and he becomes a, a prisoner of the people of uh, the, the Philistines. But if you read the story closely, after all of this, it's not that Samson's really a hero in this story. Samson's more like a warning of what happens when you don't follow the commands of God, the Ten Commandments, and otherwise. In the final scene of Samson's life, we come to realize that Samson stands as a warning of what may come for any of the people of God who don't follow the commands and the good guidance of God. The Philistines in the scene have, have captured Samson. And he's brought before the people to entertain them. His eyes have been plucked out. He's a slave like his ancestors used to be. 
But Samson has one last request for God. I want you to listen to his request. This is in Judges chapter 16, beginning in the second half of verse 25. When they stood among him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can fill the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Samson's legacy is that he killed more people in his death than in his entire life. God grants Samson's request. And sometimes the worst thing that can happen is for God to give us what we request. Because it leads to his own destruction. This is not what God had in mind for the leaders of Israel. And the period of Judges, along with the the book of Judges, ends with this line in Judges 21, verse 25. This is how this era ends for the people of God. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. It's utter chaos. Israel is not following the commands of God, and what's the result? A disruption. You see any parallels to life in 2020? Chaos. Everyone did as they saw fit. A lack of care for the humanity and even the breath in our lungs that God has given to each one of us by those in power. The commands of God are thrown aside. But as I said earlier in this message, God sends leaders in in times of disruption. And the leader that emerges for Israel out of this disruption of the period of the judges, a couple of books later, is a surprising hero. Her name is Hannah. You can read about her story in, in 1 Samuel, in the first chapter. We'll read a couple of verses in a moment. A little bit about Hannah. Hannah uh, weeps. That's what she's known for. Hannah is barren. She cannot have any children. She's mocked and despised. All Hannah has is a prayer a cry before God. This is what 1 Samuel 1 verse 10 says about Hannah and her story. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord weeping bitterly and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. If there's anything we need in the world today, it's more Hannah's. We need more despised and rejected people who are crying out to God for God to do something that only God can do. Next week I'm going to come back to the story as we talk about the era of the kings because that doesn't go all that well either. But this woman Hannah has a son. God finally gives her this gift. His name is Samuel. And Samuel becomes one of the great prophets and leaders in the time of disruption that Israel experiences in this season. So more on that next week. But before we close today, 
I want to take a, a moment to apply what we've learned uh, about the law of God, about the structure that the Ten Commandments gave to us as a blessing. You know, sometimes after we read Paul in the New Testament, we can look down on the laws if it's something of the past that doesn't have any additional help to us today. But the reality is our Ten Commandments are incredible laws. And, and many other laws that haven't been done away with are a blessing to us. Many of the laws are culturally out of date. And, and as New Testament Christians, we don't necessarily follow those laws today. But there is something about those laws that I think we can learn from in our own day. Five years ago, this coming September, Keith Maloney uh, introduced a ministry to our church called Celebrate Recovery. And uh, I was glad that he did because uh, it was a ministry that, that had blessed my life in a season of challenge. I, I preached when we launched this ministry five years ago and told my own story of recovery from some hurts and hang-ups in my life and some habits that have been destructive. And... Uh, and, and so I was so grateful we were bringing Celebrate Recovery here, knowing the stories that it would change, the people it would impact. And I'm grateful to Keith. Keith is our congregational care minister. Um, before serving in that capacity over the last five years or so, he served for over 20 uh, years as our preacher before I got here six years ago. Uh, Keith is a friend, and uh, Keith has been a great blessing to me. And I thought as I was thinking of, of this topic of the law and of how the commands of God are so important to follow and how in moments of disruption we need uh, these commands for us. I thought a conversation with Keith would be very helpful this morning uh, to understand more about Celebrate Recovery, about how things have been going in the midst of this disruption and to find out how uh, the 12 steps of Christ-centered recovery and Celebrate Recovery apply uh, with these commands in the Ten Commandments. And so I want to have that conversation right now with Keith. Keith, I uh, appreciate so much of you being with me and being willing to talk today. And uh, it's been almost five years. It'll be in September, five years since we began Celebrate Recovery at Greenville Oaks. And uh, I remember launching that with a sermon series at the time and being excited with all the prep and uh, volunteers that were ready to do that. just want to say how appreciative I am of that ministry personally. Uh, in my own life, it's, it's made an impact, but uh, I know it's made an impact here in, in your life as well. Tell us a little bit about what you appreciate most about Celebrate Recovery? Oh, well, there's a lot of things to appreciate about it, but it's pretty easy to say what I appreciate the very most, Colin. Uh, I've been in ministry a long time, over 40 years. And in all that time, I can honestly say I have never been a part of a ministry and an effort where I have seen God be at work radically transforming people's lives changing uh, habits and hang-ups uh, from very unhealthy situations to something that is life-affirming and God-honoring. And, I mean, it isn't easy. It certainly isn't quick. Uh, but going through the 12 steps in a, what we call a step study, while it's one of the hardest things I've ever done, uh, it has made a greater impact on me personally, and I've seen the same thing in so many other lives than anything else I've, I've experienced, and we just thank God for that. Absolutely. This morning in the message, uh, I was talking about, I'm speaking about Exodus and, and the Ten Commandments and the importance of, as these people are coming out of Egypt and in slavery, mm -hmm. uh, what these rules and regulations and ways of life, they're going to help them be humans again. Um, 
And uh, I think there's some parallels, uh, not that we aren't dealing with humans that celebrate recovery, of course we are, but in those stages of addiction, I know it can feel like life's out of control and yep. we don't know how to get things back on track and get started again. And you see that on, on a regular basis. So how do you see a parallel between the Ten Commandments, the law of God for the people of Israel, and how the 12 steps have been a, a blessing and a help to many through Celebrate Recovery? That's a great question, and uh, it's, it's a really good parallel. Uh, you, uh, you talked in your sermon about how that uh, people who had been in slavery, not just for years, but literally for generations, uh, had a hard time changing their way of life. Uh, when you're in a situation, you develop, you tend to develop, all people do, a way of coping with that that can be in very unhealthy ways, habits and uh, practices that, that are self-destructive, that are destructive to relationships and, and all kinds of things. Uh, and just because the slavery goes away doesn't mean those habits, those ways that we have developed of, uh, of dealing with things go away. We still hang on to them. Uh, and that's what we find in the Celebrate Recovery. Everybody has hurts. Anybody that's been around has been hurt. And we often develop hang-ups about that. And to deal with those things, uh, we can develop some extremely unhealthy habits. In fact, sometimes our habits that we develop are more destructive than the thing that we're responding to. But... I, uh, in Celebrate Recovery, uh, what we find is a means of helping people learn through uh, structure and through awareness and uh, a realization of our need to depend on God. They learn ways to deal with situations in their lives that get them out of those very unhealthy habits that uh, can be there. And, you know, we often think of addiction when we talk about Celebrate Recovery or any other 12-step program. And it's true that CR helps those a lot. Uh, people have been transformed out of that. But actually more people that come to Celebrate Recovery are not struggling with alcoholism or substance abuse. They're struggling with situations in their lives that are really, really problematic, that are bringing difficulty for them and for people that they love and care about. Uh, and just as Israel didn't just go out into the wilderness and, and because they were free, they suddenly knew this brand new way to live. We can have all the determination that we want to, but uh, just deciding we're going to change is rarely effective. Mm. So many times people decide, they, they see what uh, negative things are brought about by these habits that they have, and they're just going to white-knuckle it, and through grit and determination, they're going to change. That almost never works. Without structure and direction, as well as support and accountability, uh, 
it's almost impossible to get rid of those habits that have been ingrained in us for so long. That's what God was giving the people of Israel, structure and direction, and together they would support each other in this new way of life and the accountability to stay with what God is calling them to do that was a way out of those uh, mind slavery things that they were in. And that's what we find in Celebrate Recovery. Uh, we find structure and direction. We find support and accountability with one another that empowers God to work through those things to bring us to a whole new way of life so that we, we not only are uh, free because of what Christ has done, but God frees us from the hold that those habits, those sinful habits have on us. It's amazing to see. Yeah. I, I do appreciate your uh, clarification about these. this isn't just addictions that we normally think about because celebrate recovery, I think, is challenged sometimes because people think, well, that can't be for me. This is for everyone. It's blessed my life. It's blessed your life. Absolutely. It's blessed a lot of people's lives. And uh, it does give structure and order, spiritual disciplines, community to help, which is what, exactly what Israel experienced early on as well. Uh, I know that COVID-19 has affected all of us <laughs> in so many different ways, yeah. but uh, as a church staff, we've been particularly thoughtful about uh, our friends that are dealing with um, issues of addiction and other issues that they need community for, yeah. um, and all of us need that, right? But, but it's acute in uh, the ministry you're involved with, and, and so I was wondering, how has this affected uh, your ministry and uh, the people that you work with, how has this affected you when you're used to yeah. weekly meeting with, with uh, your friends in Celebrate Recovery? Uh, yeah, Colin, it's, it's had a, a real impact. Uh, I, I would not suggest in any way that anyone has been more impacted than others by it. We, we all have our own ways where it's impacted us and provided difficulty for us. But when people are struggling with unhealthy behaviors, being alone is one of the most difficult situations we encounter. And the isolation that's been uh, produced by the quarantine period and not being able to get together for those uh, meetings that are so important, those times that we share together, uh, has made it a lot more difficult. Uh, so it, it's been a challenge. We've still, we've done the Zoom meetings from day one, you know, when we were able to do that. Uh, and we have done various things in efforts to, to stay in contact with people. But it's not the same as being together sure. in person. So it's been hard. Yeah. It really has. So for now, two Wednesdays, you've had the opportunity to finally meet back together. It's not like it used to be. It's not a worship time, and uh, it's really open share groups, I guess, is yes. my understanding. Um, but that's been an impact. And so what was, tell us about your first Wednesday night that you had back yeah. together. Uh, it was great. It, it was so good to be able to come together and just be together in person again. Uh, we, we didn't have as many as we were having before all of this, but we had a great participation and, uh, it, it was just good seeing one another and, and, uh, you know, doing the fist, the virtual fist bump or whatever. We followed all of the safety protocols. The rooms had been sanitized and we had the masks and, and all of that. We, we don't want to be reckless about this, 
but still it was such a blessing to come together and share our mutual struggle and celebrate what God has done in our lives. It is amazing. Uh, I mean, we talk about in general terms about how God has made a difference and made an impact. But man, when you get real specific about it and here's what God did for me today or this week, uh, it's such a blessing. So it, it's, we're just so thankful to be back together. One of our values at Greenville Oaks is celebrating transformation. And uh, there are other ministries that do that well. But yeah. Celebrate Recovery is certainly one of those that yeah. does that well. And I wish that all of our people get to, get to hear the stories that you get to hear. Uh, confidentiality is really important. But I know that if they want to be there on Wednesday nights, uh, tell, us, tell us how they can, can be there. Show up. Show up. <laughs> That's all. We, uh, we're meeting now at 7.30 on Wednesday nights. Okay. Uh, and uh, that's, a, that's an adjustment to our schedule because right now we're just having the open share meetings. But 7.30 on Wednesday nights, if you want to know more about it, contact me. You can find out my uh, email address or phone number on the website. We'd love for anybody Great. to come. It's open to everyone. So if you want to, looking for a community right now, that's an opportunity for you at, uh, at 7.30 to do that. Uh, I'm excited for the first time we're going get to together, get together again as a church. And I know you've gotten a, a small taste of that, uh, but we're making those plans, and I just can't wait uh, for what it looks like to be together with our people. So thanks again for your time today, Keith, and, and the way that connects with our message this morning has been a blessing. It's a blessing to be here. Well, as we've said in this series, we are in a season of disruption. All of us feel it in ways that are obvious and probably in many other ways that are not as obvious to us. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.